You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. This is episode 234 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Hands On Gloves, the all-in-one revolutionary bathing grooming gloves. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and we spent it as a family last week. It was really fun having Glenn and Jamie and so many people out for the movement. We're excited to talk a little bit more about that today. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st of the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Yay! Have you recovered from the movement yet? That is quite a weekend you guys put on. <laughs> I'm pulling the sheets over my head and sleeping for a week. No, no, we did. We had so much fun. It was exhilarating. It was really fun. And it was just so much fun having Glenn and Jamie here. Thank you for letting us borrow Glenn. Well, yes, you got to borrow Glenn for a few days, but I'm glad he's home. I bet. It's time to mow the lawn. Time to mow the lawn. Yes, exactly. (laughs) He said it's just gorgeous out there because you guys have had so much rain that everything's in bloom and it's all beautiful and velvet green. It's just, it's been a long time. I I hardly remember California. And we've had um, generations of poppies this year, not just poppies come, poppies go. It was the next round and the next round. And and the California poppies are just gorgeous all over the farm. And um, yeah, and our mountain trail looks a little uh, greener too. Oh, really- that's right. Yeah. Well, not only had it just been installed when I was there last year, mm-hmm. yeah. you were still in your drought phase. So everything was looking mm-hmm. a little bit crispy. Oh, it was crispy brown. The only thing that I've learned, though, is that with all the green comes the weeds and the grass and, you know, the Bermuda pops up and things like that. And it is now considered the 23rd obstacle when we're out there. (laughs) (laughs) If you can keep your horses. If you can keep your horse from trying to graze. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are horses at your farm that have never witnessed real green grass. Yeah, The drought's been going on that long. It, it, you know what? Yeah, we've had them not understand what rain is out here when yeah. it started raining this last year. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty cool. But I mean, it's a great way now that we've been training to um, get to the squirting water box that Mark Bolander designed. Yeah. It's yeah. torture for horses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we've got lots of puddles we've been going through this year and everything too. So we're going to build another water box, Jen. Oh, we're yeah. Build it. Mm-hmm. We're not a squirting water box, just a water box to walk through. So we keep that good education going that we had through the through the winter, but also to train our horses to the aqua tread, which we have. We have an oh, in-ground aqua that's tread. A good it's, idea. Uh-huh. Because you know, that way, and it's only about 15 feet away from the beginning of the aqua where the entry of the aqua tread. And so yeah, we're gonna take them in and out, probably bring old mojo, you know, old bachelor mojo out there if we really need a little extra support and lead him through first. And he's not that old, he just acts it. Actually, he's <laughs> an old soul. Yes, he's an old soul, and uh, and quiet. So, um, yeah, and we're going to use that as part of our training now too. Now that I've learned how to make water boxes from pretty cool, pretty cool, pretty yeah. cool. Yay! So the yes. the movement once again was a success. Now, will people be able to watch video of the movement if they go in and, yeah. and tell me about that? How that works again? Right. Every year we have filmed everything, right? And it's such a great education. And anytime Dad works with a horse, I 
try to get it filmed anyway and professionally if possible, if not a phone. And we did. We had our crack team of Janine and Wayne, husband and wife team, and um, they they did they did the job. I mean, they schlep all over this place, dragging cameras and mics. And oh, and wonderful listener Jennifer. Uh, was here and you'll you'll recognize Jennifer. She's like this is her second year coming to the movement and she's super helpful, super sharp. And they had the crack team together because Jennifer made sure that they had everything they needed and they got to the next spot. So she was like right hand and left hand person. And so they um then what we do is we edit it all down. Now that takes a little time, so be patient with us, but we edit it all down and put it up on Vimeo and then it's on the website, moneyroberts.com, and it's under the Vimeo section. So I think it's ten bucks. So if anybody didn't make it to the movement, it's a lot more fun in person because how are you gonna hear Jared Rogerson really, really if you don't <laughs> oh, that concert was really fun. But um yeah, they can go to the website and and look at uh, Vimeo for the twenty twenty three in just a few months. But we've got all all the other ones up there already, too. And yeah. they can... So if, if you've never attended one of the, the movements mm. and you're kind of curious, you can always hop in there and for a very reasonable sum. Mm. Nowadays, that's a coffee, at, a large coffee at, uh-huh. at uh, Starbucks. <laughs> and if you've, got, if you've got bad weather coming, if you're feeling under the weather, if you have in-laws staying and you want to hide in your room, uh-huh. those are all good reasons to go to montyroberts.com and watch the movement. I have to watch the movement. It's my homework assignment. It's educational. (laughs) This is for science. That's right. That's That's right. Well, speaking of science. Speaking of science. Yay. Mm -hmm. That's a great, a great little segue there because we have, we're going to just geek out with Tara Graham, who is from England originally and um, then went to Texas and now lives in Washington state. She's quite the nomad, but she's been there a long time now and she loves Yelm, Washington. It's a beautiful part of the country. And she is, she has more work than she can um, shake a stick at and it came here and did a clinic here in Central California, right here on our farm, California Horse Center, right here on Flagstaff Farms. And she um, has some things to say about not only bits, Jen, but also bridles, that we may be doing some things wrong there on on some nerves. So also, um, we have Sharon Jansen, who is an ambassador for horses all over the Central Coast. She's just one of those Women have been to horses her whole life, but she doesn't just sit on her own horse and sit on her own laurels. She does a lot of volunteering and getting out and writing articles. She's got a wonderful newsletter online that maybe everybody can get all across, I don't know, the nation. It's uh, wonderfully Central California-centric, but um, she's close to Pismo Beach and the mountaintops over here in the forest, and she writes trail guides, and she's really, really a cool lady, so we'll have her on, too. There we go. And we're going to get to our first guest, Tara, right after we hear from our title sponsor, Hands on Gloves, the Mustang favorite at the California Horse Center. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts. And am I excited to bring you the news of a revolutionary new all-in-one shedding, bathing, grooming tool, Hands on Gloves. They are fantastic. And you believe me, I've tried them all. Hands-on outperforms traditional curry combs, shedding blades, metal bristles, and all those things. Most animals will gravitate to you for more grooming and petting time. If you wear them, your animals will love you more for it. While using the hands-on gloves, you can easily handle water hoses, shampoo bottles, lead ropes, leashes, and anything you want with them on your hands. 
They are easy to clean, and they massage muscles and stimulate circulation, while helping to distribute natural oils for a healthy skin and coat. Hands-On is changing the way we bathe, deshed, and groom our animals forever. Hands-On gloves. They are fantastic. Tara Graham is a certified bit and bridle fitter, equine body worker, and equine anatomy enthusiast. Her popular clinics called Bits, Bridles, and Biomechanics has led to her working with many of the Pacific Northwest's top trainers and also traveling further afield to ensure horses are comfortable in this often overlooked but essential piece of tack. Tara is known for a whole horse approach to bit and bridle fitting, which focuses on the horse's opinion about their bits. Well, that's quite a bio. I am so proud to introduce Tara Graham, who was here at um, the California Horse Center on Flagstaff Farms just recently. How are you, Tara? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I know you're up in Washington State. We spoke just recently, and um, I'm really pleased with the direction that your business is going. It was really fun to be able to get you here and see how you um, equip yourself with bits. And I wanted to have the listeners learn a little bit about this mysterious thing called bit fitting. You know, we've, I don't know when the last time we had a saddle fitter on, but it is a mystery. And it's very difficult for me as a topic to, you know, I talk with my hands a little bit and I don't know how you, you know, the listeners even understand what I'm doing, (laughs) trying to say. But but I asked you if this is the kind of topic we could talk to on a um, an audio format only, and you said yes. So I and I saw you in the clinic here um, in Solvang, California. We're in Central Coast, and I knew that you knew your subject down to its depth. We just listened to your bio. We know you do. Um, But I thought. Well, I'm just going to sit back and listen to you describe how you how you teach us to um, be cognizant of whether our bit is doing the right thing. And I should say, you're not just a bit fitter; you're a bit and bridle fitter. Am I right? Bit and bridle fitter, yeah. If it's mm-hmm. not the bit, it's the bridle. <laughs> right? right, and you're going to have to explain a little bit about that too, because I learned a ton about the bridle. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There, there. Um, there's a few important things to pay attention to as far as bridles go. I think, luckily, it is easier than it's ever been to ensure that you have a well-fitting bridle. Most of the manufacturers have woken up to some of the things we've been doing wrong, right? And as equestrians, you know, when new information comes out and new and new research comes out, we all sit there and we're like, "Oh gosh, I was so wrong." Mm. apologies Um, i know sorry you're like oh i'm so sorry horses um (laughs) so you know i've been at some clinics where people who are going to be fitted over the course of the weekend or whatever it is you know after the presentation they're like oh my gosh you're gonna hate me (laughs) (laughs) and i'm like no no i won't i won't it's this is educational i won't hate you believe me right i'm that's not my uh, approach at all. No, you're very so, sweet. And, and we, yeah, and we, we, we plead ignorance. We don't know these things. That's why you're on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So to going, touching briefly on bridal fitting, um, the things I look for when I'm assessing somebody's bridal as part of a bit and bridal fitting, uh, I don't like to see attachment buckles for cheek pieces. 
you have two cheek pieces typically in a snaffle bridle, the one that holds the noseband and you have the one that secures the bit. Mm-hmm. I don't like seeing either of those buckles on a horse's TMJ, the mm-hmm. temporomandibular joint, which is the bony structure that is just under the ear, you know, by the side of the forehead. The reason for that is because those are very, really, really important to a horse. Um, they affect their balance. They affect their proprioception, as they do in us as well. They affect yeah. a human's balance and proprioception. Anybody who has ever had an issue with one of their TMJs will tell you that. It changes your world, right? Yeah. So I always look for that, um, first of all. So that's one thing. that So, I'll, so in short, then, if there's a buckle that's sitting right on that, um, just above the eye, to, around to the side, just below the ear, if it's sitting right on there, it's hitting a nerve? Is that what's going on? It is basically, that is a nerve, that is a, a nerve nexus in the TMJ. But the TMJ being a joint as well uh, as its impact on balance and proprioception for the horse, it being a joint, it can develop arthritis, Mm. right? Um, So not only the nerves and the effect that that has on the rest of the horse's body, but also the fact that long-term, if you develop osteoarthritis in that joint, you know, then you're down the path of having to get that addressed by a vet and some vets now do inject them with corticosteroids mm-hmm. uh, the same way that they will with other joints mm-hmm. but prevention is better than cure with horses right yeah. right <laughs> it always has been so we all know about that mm-hmm. so uh you're better off um just moving those buckles replacing your cheek straps if you need to in order to have your buckles further down the face than the tmj to where they're well clear and manufacturers have woken up to this now. Yeah. Most of your big name manufacturers, you can just go on their website and take a look and you can order shorter cheek pieces. And if you can't, you can, you know, find that through a Google search. There are many bridal manufacturers that are now providing shorter cheek pieces. So probably one of the simplest, cheapest things that you can fix on a bridal for many of us that have been around horses for most of our lives, we're likely to even have other bridles that are no longer in use to where we can just take those cheek, cheek straps off and put them on our current bridle. Great idea. Um, yep. So quick, easy fix. And so that's one of the things that I look for and advise people to address. The other thing that I'll look for as well, which is not so common, is assessing how tight a brow band is. There are some brow bands out there that are on that horse's face a little too tight. Uh, There's not a standard way to assess whether your brow band is too tight. Typically, when I'm at a fitting, I'll just place a couple of fingers underneath the area where it attaches to the crown piece and uh, see if the color's leaving my fingertips, right? (laughs) Um, If it is then that brow band's too tight. Sometimes, especially in the winter months, if a horse is unbridled and put back into its halter, you can see a little indent Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. in the fur from a brow band. Don't forget that when the winter woolies are in, that's going to be more noticeable. But the likelihood is if it's there during the time when the horse has its winter woolies all over its face, the likelihood is if you're seeing that indent, it is too tight you know, generally. Brow bands, again, cheap and easy to replace, right? 
and there's a whole range of them, all the all the sparklies and everything, right? Yeah, these days I know they're so cute. <laughs> you all the sparklies and everything. You can lose hours. Yeah, you can lose hours lose of out. your life hunting for a new brow band online. <laughs> hours. I've been there. Right. Um, yeah, <laughs> my mare has quite the collection. So, <laughs> um, so. You know, if, if that's one of the things I do address, though, when I'm looking for bridal fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, nose bands as well. Nose bands are a very, very hot topic right now, an extremely right. controversial topic for a good reason. So there is a major nerve that passes right through where our nose bands are attached, um, the infraorbital canal. And you'll often see, I've seen many horses who will vigorously rub their heads on a front leg after mm-hmm. they've been being ridden you know whether it being schooled or I've seen it at showgrounds as well and that typically is you know uh, an effect of their infraorbital nerve being restricted Mm. so the feeling so they're uncomfortable their face is beginning Mm. to change right Um, tickling maybe or tingling or there's a reason that they're doing that Mm. Um, there are horses that will do that with no nose band on at all I usually relate that to their being prior um, damage in, in um, that area or okay. even a memory mm-hmm. for some of our horses, a memory of previous you know, trauma from a noseband. So the horse is already convinced it has to protect its nose yeah, from yeah. losing sensation, even though it doesn't even have a noseband on. Right. Um, interesting animals like that. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They do do that. You're, you're absolutely right, which yeah. makes it difficult for us to judge sometimes. But what are we what are we doing wrong with our nose bands that um, in the overarching? Because I know there's going to be disciplined things. So um, for a long time, we've had the two finger rule. Right. Right. <laughs> but um, I came to found, find out that uh, we've been using the two fingers to measure tightness in the wrong direction. Ah. Many people will act, will lie them flat under a noseband, the two fingers together flat. It's supposed to be the other way. They're supposed to be sitting one on top of the other. Taller. Okay. <laughs> there is actually a tool available now. It was designed by Equitation Science. You can find it, equitationscience.com. It's a standardized tool for measuring noseband tightness. And some regulatory bodies in Europe have started using them. Uh, at showgrounds uh, mm-hmm. during technical delegate checks on bridles and bits. Does it depend so, on the head of the horse at all? Is there any scooch room on that? I've actually come to the conclusion that there is no such thing, some of the sizes for bridles. It's extremely rare, in fact, for a horse to fit into the category of horse size, cob size, oh. pony size, <laughs> large, warm blood you know, right. extra large. Some of them would be a horse size on their forehead mm-hmm. and a cob size on their nose band. There we are. Um, and I got one of those. Warm blood size. You, got, you have you a do. silver cob. <laughs> yes. cob nose. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, always, I always joke with owners that um, their horse is a little bit wonky, you know. Wonky. It's okay. Yeah, that's a great yeah. word. It's, their face is a bit wonky, but it's okay, you know. Um, yeah, so some of them are just, the majority of them, in fact, are just different sizes in different areas, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So that that's one of the reasons why bridal fitting is just as much as a minefield as a bit fitting. 
But again, there are manufacturers where you can actually design your own bridal and you can order hmm. parts, take measurements and order parts and, and things idea. to literally tailor make. The a bridal. cart bridal system. Um, that, yeah. came, that came about it's when like shopping carts bridal. became more yeah. advanced. <laughs> oh, okay. Before right. that, could right. not do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think this is, this is maybe where I should drop this in to say that, you know, the equestrian world has progressed so much, I'd say, in the last 50 years or so in, in treatment of horses and everything else. So I asked Tara, you know, how do we how do we know that we're arriving yet at a more comfortable place? And she said, no, we're making a movement toward better fitting of bits. We're, we're still, you know, exploring the best ways to do everything. So that's what I want to drop in here right now saying before anybody, you know, says, ah, it's not sciencey enough yet. Right. We understand. I, I always think that what I do is somewhere between uh, an exact science and tailor, tailor, kind of tailor fitting for the individual horse. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. Mm-hmm. There are there. You would hope that out there right now there are hard and fast rules for which bit to choose. Mm-hmm. The reality is that's not the case. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I can I can think of a good few times where the horses have humbled me as horses love to do right and you know i'm approaching my kit for the first trial bit and i'm like oh yeah i've got this down like you know i know about the horse's mouth i know this is going to be comfortable for them it's going to give the rider the action that they want and i select that bit the rider tries it the horse hates it (laughs) (laughs) and whose opinion is it does not agree with me Right. The horse it, is like, lady, we just met. It, you, think, <laughs> you think you know me? Okay. Yeah. You don't know. You know. Let me so it's the horse's the opinion, though. It's not the owner's opinion. It's the, the horse's, horse's opinion. opinion. Okay. Right. 100%. Yeah. Okay. And it's, I think, you know, you were mentioning um, how do we know that, that we're making progress? Well, there's a way now where we do actually get to hold space for the horse's opinion, right? I'll fit some horses and I'll I'll find I'll find the best fit or maybe bit one. I found it before on bit two. Some of them I won't find it until bit four, five. But just the fact that now there are people out there who will turn up with a big stock of trial bits. And really if you think about it, we're holding space for the horse's opinion today. Right. Right? They get to tell us and give us feedback about what they think. Obviously, I also have to consider what the rider thinks. You have and to, then I have you to actually have to rely on them, thing. don't you? I mean, you, yeah. You, yeah. that's what I saw at the clinic is that you're listening for the owner to say, oh, yeah, you know, that was much more comfortable for the horse because he, he went better. Um, and, and you even say in all the things that I'd read about you that that you've refined over the years your feel for tension in areas of the horse's head. What does feel in the horse's head feel like in your hands? Um, so it can be it can it can be different depending on the horse, right? Okay. Um, some horses will again give you immediate feedback about that. I've met horses that will not, under any circumstances, let me put a hand on their TMJs. They will not do it. Mm. Um, 
Okay. I've met one or two that tried to take me out with a front leg. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, when I started getting close, I'm like, oh, okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Never stepped out of a pair of cross ties as quick as I just did then. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I've met others who the eyes become droopy and, you know, the head lowers and, yeah. and things like that. And I've met others that will stand there and do full-blown releases, yawning and sighing yeah. and um, things like that. And so it really depends uh, on the horse. Mm-hmm. And there are certain some areas where you can feel for tension as well, um, okay. which is mainly their chin groove, their jawline, uh, along their neck, their pectoral muscles. All of that is affected by how they're moving in their bit because okay. of the way that they are set up anatomically from their hyoid apparatus being connected to their sternum, um, being connected actually through fascia mm-hmm. to their entire body. That was interesting. Yeah, that was really interesting how you, how you went from the hyoid bone, which is way down at the end of the mouth, all the way through across the butt. And it's basically a fascia that is that network that's tied that all together. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Large fascial change. Yeah. yeah. You mm-hmm. have a, I think probably the most significant one is, um, is uh, the superficial ventral line. That's oh, yeah. probably the most significant one, um, how it connects to the pelvis and then down the back leg. But the hyoid apparatus is connected to a whole lot of things. So so describe uh, for listeners uh, where the hyoid is. Uh, it's a cluster of bones, I think you taught me, and yeah. um, and, <laughs> and how that makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's way up inside their mandibles. It's inside their jaw, jaw bones. Okay. Um, and it is way, way up uh, there. It's basically there to help a horse eat, right? And it's there to help them mobilize their jaw to eat effectively. We have a hyoid. Dogs, the majority of mammals have hyoids. So for the horse, though, their hyoid is attached to their tongue by the tiniest little bone, right? mm. which is always bizarre to me if you think of the size and the strength of a horse's tongue. Yeah. That tiny bone on the end of the hyoid apparatus, the lingual process. So it is surrounded by muscle fibers, ligaments, and then you have uh, two major muscles that run down the horse's neck and into the sternum, uh, the sternothyroidus, the sternohyoidus. You have the omohyoidus, which is connected to subscapular fascia. And then you have a smaller muscle, the occipitohyoid, which is uh, attached to the neutral ligament, which eventually is attached to, to attach just in front of the withers. So when you really sit there and think about it and look at the way that these muscles are attached uh, and then consider the huge fascial chains that run through the rest of their body and where they are attached, yeah. it's not surprising that horses can feel so, so different in yes. different bits. And during fittings, yeah, I do communicate a hell of a lot with the rider. After a while, also your eye becomes more trained on how the horse is moving. So a lot of the times, you know, after I was at um, Flag is Up, I then went down towards LA uh, yeah. for a day there with um, a trainer, April Atwell. And one of her students who uh, was helping during the fittings, you know, my rule is if people come to the presentation, great. If you want to 
stay after the presentation and ask questions, you better come and help me. <laughs> Good. You got a lot of bits to, to wash. I know. Yeah. You're welcome to ask questions, but you're going to have to become pit crew. So hold <laughs> horses, help change out bits, you know, things like that. You'll, you, you'll actually pick up a lot being pit crew. Let me tell I you. Um, anyway, yeah. So, um, so yeah, she asked me at one point, the first fitting, one of April's students asked me, can I ask you, what are you looking at right now? I said to her, you know, you'll notice if you look at my eyes, I'm not always looking at the horse's mouth. Mm. I'm looking at the front legs. I'm looking at the back legs. I'm looking at the shape that horse is making, the frame that they're moving in. It's not all just to do with the mouth. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful when you find find a bit that immediately provides a quieter mouth, right? Because we need that for the show ring. But it's equally to me wonderful when I see a horse become more free in their shoulder, mm-hmm. when I see them actually start to engage some of those beautiful paces that they were bred for, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, we've got it. Sometimes you'll see the tail kind of uh, arched in a nicer position, mm-hmm. not so clamped in. and It's very interesting, things mm-hmm. like that. And sometimes you notice that the, ho- the horse's entire energy has changed. And you're like, that's it. We found it. We got the one. <laughs> yeah. And the, yeah. Ride, the rider's like, wow, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got it when when the rider and the horse are in harmony. So, right. so there's some changes going on. I know that FEI. You do had mentioned FEI and USEF rule changes have happened on bits. What are they? What is a body like the FEI or the USEF? What are they going for in bit changes? Is it just gentler bits or are they trying to help us, uh, you know, become better fitters of bits? What, what are the changes? Um, I think a lot of the rule changes have been down to research, right? One of the more recent ones that happened at the end of last year was, for example, the French link. The whole, and previous to that, the Dr. Bristol got mm-hmm. banned a while before that. And then the French link um, was also banned 1st of December last year. That actually, that whole subject was actually brought about by people starting to x-ray bits in horses' mouths, believe it or not. Uh, Okay, yeah. Bits in different positions, bits under different rain pressure. um, And they realized that actually a French link, which we grew up being told was a kind bit, Mm-hmm. <laughs> has some very thin surface areas right. over the tongue and That's also true. on the palate of the mouth, depending on how low that palate is. And here's the other thing. I think we used to believe that horses had these big cavernous holes in which they could accommodate bits. Oh, and then mm-hmm. we realized they don't. Their mouths, are, their mouths actually don't have that much space, right? Um, mm-hmm. And their mouths are also very different. That, to me, is the most important thing about bit fitting. Um, it's all good and well to try five, six bits during an hour and a half fitting session. But unless you know about the horse's mouth, how do you make decisions for their comfort? You know? right. Right. To, me, to me, you aren't. You're making decisions for the rider. So horses have extremely different mouths. Uh, there was actually research done on it 
which I drew attention to during my presentation. There was research done in 2012 on horses' mouths, and um, they tried to find a commonality between categories such as a horse, such as horses' sex, um, and they subdivided a group of 52 horses into sex, you know, mare, gelding, stallion, subdivided them again by age, subdivided them again by breed, and they were looking for commonalities specifically between palate depth and any of those other things, mm. any of those other categories. They concluded that you can't find one. Mm. There isn't okay. a correlation between any of those things and one of the most important features of their mouth, which is their palate depth. Yeah. Um, I can That's attest to that as well, having fitted God knows how many hundreds hundreds of horses now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I can attest to that. Like Without a I've speculum met. or sedation, I might add, because With you no can Yeah, no speculum, no sedation. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't sedate horses because I need them to be ridden. Exactly. exactly. I also can't sedate full stop because I'm not veterinary qualified. Well, okay, that um, too. <laughs> <laughs> there's that too, you know. So, um, yeah, as I was saying, I, I, I've met... A seventeen one precinct George dressage horse nice. with a four point two five inch mouth. Mm. You know, pony sizes. Yeah. Uh I've met ponies that measured at six point five inches. What? It really what? just <laughs> it really just, you know, what we would regard a pony under fourteen one got a huge mouth on them. Right? With a big head, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So that that <laughs> that begs a question right there for me. Okay. Um, for average Joanne horse owner is going to scratch your head after listening to this little chat and say, "Gee, I wonder if I have the horse the right size bit on my horse." And mm -hmm. by size, I'm I'm speaking specifically to the width of the bit, left side of the mouth mm -hmm. to the right side of the mouth. What is the way you would recommend your average horse owner to correctly measure what width of bit their horse needs? Um, you can get measuring devices now. Again, easy to find online. Many of the barns that I've worked at during clinics or fittings, they either have one already or they get one after I've been there. <laughs> okay, good. I need to know these horses are at least wearing the correct size, um, mm. which is wonderful. You can find those online. If you don't have access to one, uh, get a reasonably sturdy piece of string and put it into your horse's mouth for just a few seconds and mark with your fingers, you know, where you when, when you get up to their lips, just hold the string with two of your fingers and take it out of the horse's mouth. Measure it with a measuring tape. Okay. And that's going to give you a far better idea. There are some variables to consider here. A loose ring bit, depending on who manufactured it, should always be a quarter of an inch larger. Many of the top big name manufacturers are making their bits to where they have uh, beveled bore holes now, if it's a loose ring, so that they're not catching whis whiskers mm -hmm. and skin. Personally, I will still give a horse wearing a loose ring, an extra quarter inch. Okay. Um, it looks nicer, and a quarter of an inch makes no difference to the action of the bit at all. So okay. I just thought it sticks to that rule. Yeah, um, that's good. But that I, have, is, uh, I have one question about into pressure. Do you, do you 
you know the concept of into pressure, and I'm thinking about the horse now that you know is is he's on his fifth or sixth bit fitting that day. Does the the ability for them to push into pressure, that's the into pressure syndrome or thigmotaxis, which horses mm-hmm. have all over their body. Does that affect your bit fitting? Do they change over the course of trying on a bunch of bits? Um, they can. Mm-hmm. They can change. I don't, you know, that I haven't had many people who have told me, you know, weeks after a fitting, my horse doesn't like this bit. Oh, that would be, yeah, that'd be an indicator. I haven't met many people like that at all. On the subject, though, of um, interpressure, I have met horses with damage in their mouths, Mm. sadly. I've met horses with very scarred tongues. I've met horses with scarred bars, um, things like that. And what always boggles my mind and also just makes me want to go home and cry for Mm. that horse is the fact that they probably did not try to kill somebody when that damage was happening. They, they shut down and they kept quiet about it and they endured it. So although I'm not evangelically out there, you know, bashing people for having a bit on that's too big or a bit on that's too small or a bit that they, the horse's mouth can't accommodate and I, I'll never be that person who, you know, makes somebody feel terrible about that. At the same time, I always say to people, don't make the assumption that your horse is comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I trust that you know your horse very, very well. But uh, the kinds of horses that I've met that have some of that damage, mm-hmm. you know, I know that they didn't have a big explosive reaction. Because generally, horses like that don't make it into the kinds of homes that I fit for. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. That's good. Um, generally, that's, and, that's not going to yeah. go very well for the horse. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, it is, that is one of the things that uh, always kind of boggles my mind. Because if it were, if it were us, I'd kill somebody, right? Mm. <laughs> if they're You're cutting so up my mouth with a piece of metal. Right, yeah. but our horses, mm-hmm. a lot of our horses don't. So. Well, on that note, Tara, you are an amazing scientist. Basically, you've studied a lot of science <laughs> behind the anatomy and the uh, even physiology and everything of the horse. And I really appreciate that you do all of that for the horse. You're an ambassador for the horse too, because um, you're speaking for the horse who might be in pain or might be um, enduring something, even if it's a bridle. We learned. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciate that you're out there banging the drum, you know, for people to pay attention to what our horses are talking You know, they're mute, right? You know, horses, if they right. could cry out, I suppose they'd probably be better off. But aren't they stoic and wonderful um, that way? And I, I'm glad that they have you speaking for them, at least their mouth. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi, Debbie. I just had to write and tell you how much I'm enjoying Monty's podcast on Horsemanship Radio. You and Monty and your podcast guests are my company every evening while I'm feeding, cleaning, and finishing up barn chores for the day. I especially enjoyed the recent podcast 158 because so many of the guys that Monty talked about, and especially Greg Ward, were heroes of mine when I was growing up. 
It was really fun to be a fly on the wall listening to Monty recount all those stories. And I also enjoyed his discussion with Tanya Johnston about the deer and Thigmotaxis. Thanks for all the great information you and your dad are spreading throughout the world. And thanks for making the time doing my barn chores, no chore at all. All the best, Nan Meek. Sharon Jansen has called the Central Coast of California home since attending Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and graduating with a degree in ag business. Her riding experience started in the Pony Club and a little hunter-jumper experience thrown in. She branched out into eventing, then to dressage, and all of this was done mostly on the back of a Connemara. Sharon has explored many trail rides throughout the county and continues to get out and relish the wonder of the trails. Well, welcome. Welcome back, Sharon Jansen from SLO News. That's where I know you from, but you do a lot of things. How are you? I'm doing great, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me back on. I'm happy to have you back on. I say SLO News because I didn't say slow news because people might think that, you know, they don't they don't understand if they're in New York, that that's San Luis Obispo. <laughs> right. And it's it's slow horse. So S-L-O horse news. So we Thank focus on the horse activities in San Luis Obispo County. Yes, you do. And that is your website, S-L-O horsenews.net, yes. which is great. And it's wonderful. I read it every week. Fridays are my favorite, but you know, you do spit in midweek things too. And you're very eloquent and well-spoken. So I wanted to have you back on because I read an article that you are out doing right now as we speak, being an ambassador for the horse. And I thought, you know, I loved what you said in the article. I would love for you to repeat for all our listeners out there who might not get to see that article. What are you up to? Okay. Well, I am at Ag Adventure Camp this week, and we've been doing Ag Adventure Camp for since 2010, mm. and it introduces um, children from the age of 7 to 11 to agriculture. And um, one of the focuses is just, um, you know, bringing agriculture into these girls' lives. And we have girls this week and then boys next week. Um so that they will become more informed because when we understand something, then we make better decisions about it. And when industries um, aren't getting understood, then decisions are made about those industries that really um, put them at risk of being eliminated. And so I would see agriculture is in that industry and also horses in general um, are at risk of being eliminated. And so we that are a part of those industries need to be advocating for them. Yes. And you are doing that. So it is this is a volunteer thing that you do every year? or um... It is a volunteer thing that I've been doing since 2010. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and and the, it, it's also a focus on helping um, the girls not only understand agriculture, but connecting them with how God created agriculture and God, how He created things and how that impact that impacts our lives. Yeah, is there any camping involved in this, or is this just a day activity? No, it's a it's a day activity. So the girls come every day, and um, it's only Monday through Thursday, and they spend the whole day here, and and there's just a whole variety. Monday is horse day always. And then there's an animal of the week. So the animal of this week is turkey. That's the main focus. I should explain um, that. And then, yeah. If, if people are hearing yeah. a little chirping in the background, it, <laughs> it tell us what yeah. you've got surrounding you right now. I am in a room with some baby 
turkeys. <laughs> and so they're you know, the little, little cheap, cheap sounds are these baby turkeys that the girls are able to put in their laps and hold in their hands. And then there's a couple of adult turkeys outside the door and you'll hear them a couple of times as well. Um, yeah. And then they do a variety of crafts. Um, they build things. Um, we have a newsletter. So we're taking pictures. They ride horses every day. And that's what my main job has been to be the head wrangler of this horse, the horse phase. And the girls, all, well, all the, the boys do too. The kids just love to ride. And many of these, students campers have never even been on a horse before so mm-hmm. and many are trotting by the fourth day really so. that's great <laughs> yeah. that's pretty cool yeah. that's pretty brave <laughs> i love that so you, do you ever lose any anybody come off the side slowly um, i have had in the in all these years i've had two come off one because my wrangler we have we have called hoops and she came up towards the horse's face with the hula hoop and the horse oh, kind of did a little spin. Uh-huh. And, um, and so the rider came off and then I had a, um, I had a, um, a leader. So the leaders are all teenagers. Um, I had a leader come off too in sort of a situation where just too much energy was being mm-hmm. done at once and he came off. Um, oh, but other that, than that, that's pretty encouraging. Sharon, all those I years, think. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm thinking anybody listening to this thinking, oh, I'd never do it. You know, how could I get involved? I'd kill somebody or something. No, you won't. You'll be fine. Just (laughs) volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. So encourage that mom who who thinks, you know, my kids do that. But how can I expand that into our community? Because I think it's great for the community. Yes. Yes. And there's a, we have a plan and, you know, it's mainly done at the walk. And, you know, so anyways, we have a, a whole, whole routine we've worked out and that's what, has kept us the horses sane and the kids sane. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's great. And and Sharon is quite the writer, listeners. She um, has been, over the years, you've written trail guides and uh, published them and everything, too. I bought one. Um, yeah. They're wonderful for all the Central Coast, well, not all of Central Coast, but it's definitely San Luis Obispo County, but quite a bit of area around here for trails. You've got mountaintops and you've got beach rides on there, which is exactly. pretty cool that it yeah it takes in all that area for you too. And do you see these, have you, now that it's been 10 years, do you see some of these kids growing up and staying with horses at all? You know, I know that we have uh, lit the fire uh, under several girls. Okay. Um who have continued on and, and through the exposure at our camp have continued on and progressed their riding. So yeah, we've been, we've been, uh, you know, a spark in their lives. Um, and in fact, one young lady was afraid to get on the first day and then, um, she did get on the second day and then, um, and did great. And it was the second year when she returned. Uh. Um, I told I tell you, she was a horse trainer. She, she was just fabulous. Wow. She that, you know, the feel that she had the feel and the understanding and some of her horses are kind of done with being ridden mm-hmm. <laughs> by all these horses, by all these kids. And so they get dull. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was able to make this one horse go and turn and it was just great. So yeah, but she continued on. Yay. Yay. Good job. Okay. So see ambassador, you are doing your job. You're getting, you're getting more of them out there too. I wanted, I couldn't have you on without talking a little bit about whisper and some of the things that you do in your life with horses too. Um, I started looking up about Connemara's and then I remember you said 
Whisper had some Connemara. Is she full? She's Connemara? full. She's, She's full. Full. Mm-hmm. full. Okay, yep. so I I found out that the Connemara ponies in Ireland are the only horse breed native to Ireland, and uh, yeah. they you know they they've got that work ethic from. I think they're actually maybe a little bit of a um, crossbreed between the Spanish. I mean, this goes back 400 years or something. Now, Spanish yeah. horse conquistadors kind of came across or whatever. And yeah. then the Scandinavian yeah. horses. So you've got that work ethic in a horse, and but really mm-hmm. super friendly personalities too, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're wonderful. <laughs> ah, and so she does everything when, for you. Yeah. She does. So I got her when she was two. She was a gift to me from a Connemara breeder who... Um, said that I needed to have a Connemara in my life again. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been part of the uh, West Coast Connemara show. My mom actually launched that um, back in the 1979 was our first mm-hmm. West Coast Connemara show. I was riding our ponies in it um, in 1980 and beyond. And then I had a Connemara when I was in college. And then I had a half-bred when I was pregnant with my second child when we got the half-bred that I took her through third-level dressage. And then um, I've, I've still been, we go to every West Coast Connemara show. My kids have all helped. Um, and this Connemara breeder uh, decided that I needed to have one. So yeah. she gave me Whisper as a two-year-old. And so I have been bringing her along. She's now five. And my main focus is dressage with her. And then I have a, a dear friend, her name is Emily Robertson, who also has a Connemara half-bred and is a fan of the breed. And long story short, she's my jumping rider. Um, and so my pony will jump, but I'm my jumping days, I think, are way behind me. Oh, stop. Don't, don't. <laughs> I, I did jump about a month ago. I jumped and my daughter was watching and um, Emily was there, of course. They were just little crossbars, but I hadn't done it for 22 years. I hadn't jumped 22? for 22 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, you know, I started when I was in high school and college and I did combined training. I went up to preliminary level on a 14, three hand Connemara. Um, and, and I did jump Katie, my half bred a little bit, but then I was, you know, a new mom. And I decided that mm-hmm. a new mom didn't need to be jumping. And so that was 22 years ago. And then I rode my, my green, <laughs> right. my up and coming pony who just was fabulous. And I jumped several fences. They were oh, just little crossbars, but good. I, I was did. holding my breath. I thought you might have a, a terrible story in there, but no, you did good. No, no. Okay, it good. was great. I was screaming. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm jumping. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Good for you. There's hope for us, Sharon. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I love the fact that you um, you do not let grass grow under your feet. You've done everything from mounted archery to uh, the little bit of jumping recently, too. But yeah. Ride the trails, too. You're a trail girl, too. But, uh, mm-hmm. and you've had yeah. every kind of breed, I think, too. So um, it's always fun to have you on and see what you're up to. You inspire us. And um, I'm, I'm lucky. I, I think I'm lucky to know you. And also, all those girls are so lucky to have you this week. Oh, thank you. Sharon. All right. We will see you soon down the road. You are just down the road from us and um, let's stay in touch. Okay. Thank you, Debbie. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox. 
and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of What is full imprinting? Monty's answer. Imprinting is the act of introducing a young horse to the human at the time of birth. There is a window of opportunity at this time, which is open fully for only about an hour after the foal is born. This is the optimal time for imprinting. This is not to say that you cannot imprint after that hour, but it is not as effective. You should maintain good husbandry practices recommended for foaling, and imprinting should commence only when you are entirely comfortable that the foal is being born under normal circumstances and that your actions are not interfering in any way with the mare's bonding with the foal. While I have been a student of Dr. Miller's full imprinting methods, I have allowed my experiences to modify the process. The imprinter should place himself on his knees at the dorsal backside of the foal near the withers. He should take care when handling the foal never to get between the mare and foal. There are many books and articles describing the procedure and timelines for foal imprinting. These include a book by Dr. Miller titled Imprint Training of a Newborn Foal, a Swift Effective Method for Permanently Shaping a Horse's Lifetime Behavior, and my own textbook, which has a large section on this important topic. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Some people don't think horses and people communicate. We call those people not horse people. Not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs, but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at FeedSentinel.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in July. Here we are. On July 8th, we have the Mountain Trail Play Day. The 10th through the 14th, we have a Monty special training. We have some cool horses for that. On the 15th, we have a Horsemanship 101. And on the 31st of July through the 4th of August, we have a Gentling Wild Horse Course. Then August 5, we have the Mountain Trail Play Day. 7 through 19, we have an introductory course of horsemanship. And then we can lay the modules right on top of that. So the 7th through the 9th of August is the introductory course, module 1. The 10th through the 12th is introductory course, module 2, join up. And then the 14th through 16 is introductory course, module 3, long lining. And then if you're ready, 17 through 19 is the preparation for the inter-exams course, module 4. How about that? Dun, dun, dun. There's a lot going mm-hmm. on. Quick question. Mm-hmm. Monty's special training. Yeah. What sorts of horses would we typically see during that? Are there, is oh it my gosh. Um, r- horses that are um, remedial? Is it Mustangs? Is it OTTBs? What do you usually see? Oh my gosh. One, two, three. 
You just, in my them. brain, oh, okay. that was exactly the order I was thinking those. But we also have, so the OTTBs are part of the transition horse program, but we also have Mustangs as part of the transition horse program. So you'll see those for sure. Like those are already here. But then we always have the remedials. So we bring in a non-loader and we have actually waiting in the wings for us right now. Some of these Mustangs that we just finished working with, by the 10th through the 14th, they're ready for their first saddles. So we will also have starters for the money special training, which is dad's specialty, by the way. Um, you know, this is what the queen called him over to do in mm-hmm. 1989 was show how he gets the first saddle bridle and rider up on a horse. So these horses will be leading and be, you know, pretty much ready at that point to uh, deal with people. So we'll have all of those, Jen. It's really that, cool. There you go. So that's what Monty special training is all about. And you can find all of that and more at MontyRoberts.com. You can also find the calendar by giving a call or get to all the information on the calendar by giving a call. You can find the phone number on MontyRoberts.com. And the phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about today's guests. We love your feedback. We love to hear from you. Great way to do that is via social media. Monty Roberts on Facebook is just that, Monty Roberts, the one with the little blue check mark. On Twitter yep. and on Instagram, it's Monty underscore Roberts. Yes, that's true. And Instagram's pretty, though. It's really pretty. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. That is Jay Michelson at handsongloves.com. Go to that Facebook page that Jen was talking about and see the green gloves that Jamie was rubbing a wild Mustang with. Jamie Jennings was out here for the movement and she pulled on those gloves. Monty is reading the card and talking to Jamie saying, these gloves do, (laughs) it was like a little commercial for hands-on gloves. We so thank you guys because Jay put a bunch of hands-on gloves in boxes and shipped them here and everybody at the movement got a pair of hands-on gloves is that it's like oprah you know not quite a car <laughs> not quite a car but your horse fun. appreciates it way more than a car so much more exactly and what's more important your car or your horse it's your horse so and then also monty roberts university.com we are really proud and pleased to say that we have nearly 800 lessons on MontyRobertsUniversity.com now we faithfully put up a new one every week and right now it's about an OTTB called LASS that's an off the track thoroughbred called LASS that we have retrained and she's lovely it's a great story be sure to visit all the other great shows on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com and until next time have many happy horse hours (music) 